this morning, as I said earlier, we have folks talking about the intersection of their work and their faith. But my hope is that hearing from them is also an invitation to you to reflect on the ways that your faith and your work life intersect, whether that's your work at a job or as a volunteer, but the ways that those things meet. And as you'll see, we'll be uh, singing our hymn verses interspersed with our speakers this morning, and we begin now by singing together. My story today is about how my work renewed my faith and uh, led me to this church. I work on the conservation of big aquatic ecosystems, uh, coastlines, bays, rivers, uh, wetlands, and it's a career that's allowed me to work on the California coast and the Great Lakes and on the Mississippi River and now on California's Delta and the Central Valley's rivers. And you know, my interest in conservation began when I was a child playing and hiking and hunting on the farms and woods and shorelines of Diamond Lake in northeast Illinois, where my family lived. And where Indian Creek flows out of Diamond Lake, my grandfather and great-grandfather had a lake resort and a farm that was at the center of a lot of our family's life. I often say I grew up in the Diamond Lake Methodist Church, where my mom was the church secretary. And my sisters and I were the fifth generation of Rays. Uh, to attend the Diamond Lake Church, which my great-great-grandfather and his pioneer neighbors had founded on high ground just south of the lake. But like a lot of young people, uh, I drifted away from the faith I'd been raised in, and I'm sure when I was in graduate school at UC Davis in the 70s, I never set foot in a church, nor for many years thereafter. When my daughter Virginia was born, her mother and I wanted her to participate in the church, although pretty often my own participation was limited to dropping Virginia off at Sunday school and then heading down to Starbucks for a latte and to read the Sunday paper. At the time, I worked for a philanthropic foundation in Minneapolis for which I developed a grant-making program to protect the Mississippi River. And it was a great job because I got to travel throughout the river basin and see wonderful things and meet great people and arrange uh, contributions of money to help them do good work. But conservation can be discouraging, too, because there are many obstacles, success, and setbacks are common. 1995 was one of those discouraging years, and when our Environmental Grantmakers Association convened that fall on the Great Lakes, the site was dumpy and the food was bad, and the Great Lakes site ensured we spent too much time talking about the persistent toxic pollution of the lakes and the threat it'll pose to the region's health for generations to come. And the Republicans had just taken control of the Congress and our hopes for progress on national environmental policy were unraveling and people were really gloomy. Uh, On the conferences last night, our speaker was Paul Gorman from the Cathedral of St. John the Divine in New York, who was organizing the National Religious Partnership for the Environment. 
At the time, few U.S. Uh, denominations had a viewpoint on the environment, and Paul talked about his work uh, organizing an ecumenical alliance to advocate for protecting the environment, a work of faith. He talked about how faith leads to hope, hope that comes from the conviction that God's creation is good and that, and that it's endowed with love. He preached that the resources that flow from conviction are full of power. Quoting Martin Luther King and Nelson Mandela in the Bible, he reminded us that people passionate with spiritual fervor can escape bondage and despair because faith provides not just hope but courage. And that was a pretty amazing message for me and my secular colleagues. When I got back to Minnesota, I set out to learn more about this effort to recruit religious people to address environmental issues. So I subscribed to Green Cross, the environmental journal of evangelicals for social action. They're the group that, trusting that the Bible is God's literal word, promoted energy-efficient cars by distributing bumper stickers that asked, what would Jesus drive? The first issue of Green Cross that I received retold the story of Noah and the Ark, how Noah, a simple man, in response to God's command, enlists his family to preserve every animal in the world, every bird in the air, all the fish in the sea, both wild animals and domestic animals, every moving thing to fulfill God's command to keep these species alive on the earth. Genesis teaches us that all this creation preserved by Noah is delivered to our care so that these animals and plants can abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply. And as the flood recedes, God sets a rainbow in the sky, uh, an example of nature's beauty, to signify his covenant, not just with people, but with every living thing on the earth. God's promise that as long as the earth endures, this environment we value. Genesis calls it seed time and harvest, day and night, summer and winter, will endure. You know, it blew my mind because I recognize this is what I believe, but I hadn't known where it came from or how to express it. As I began to look more closely at the conservationists with whom I worked on the Mississippi, I saw how faith uh, supported their work. On the Headwaters Lakes of northern Minnesota, there was the TV fishing guide who completed each episode of Angling Tips with a short, heartfelt devotional. In rural Minnesota, Lutheran pastors were joining with family farmers and sportsmen and neighbors to restore battered prairie rivers. In Wisconsin and Iowa, seminaries and convents were teaching about our responsibility to care for the earth. Mapmakers showed me how the churches and cemeteries the pioneers had sited on the ridgeline surrounding the Mississippi created a necklace of sacred sites encircling the river's watershed. In St. Louis, I met faith-based social workers and nuns who organized poor riverside neighborhoods to end illegal dumping, demand better garbage service, and open urban riversides to outdoor recreation. Some people had been baptized in the Mississippi, and others had spread their loved one's ashes on it. In the South, in Cajun parish halls and country chapels, I prayed with people who were demanding justice for their communities in the face of pollution and environmental damage from petrochemical plants and oil development and pesticides. These were people who agreed with Isaiah that the world, the whole world, is full of God's glory. And in fact, surprisingly to me, when we polled people in our region about why it was important to protect the Mississippi, they most frequently answered that they were responsible to be a good steward of God's creation. And as I worked with these leaders and saw how their faith uplifted them, 
it contributed to the renewal of my own faith. Each year, the groups that were working to protect the Mississippi would gather somewhere along the river, and the meetings often include song. And the Southerners, many of whom were veterans of civil rights days, liked to sing, We Shall Overcome. At one gathering, the leader of Jesus' People Against Pollution, which was an environmental group from Mississippi, she sang a verse that I don't think Pete Seeger wrote. She sang, God is on our side, God is on our side today. It was a powerful message, but it made me uncomfortable, so I said, hey, Charlotte, I know some of these petrochemical plant uh, managers and pesticide dealers, and they're good church-going people, and I don't think uh, God picks sides. And she replied, well, then, Dan, you can sing, God is at our side instead. And that became a promise that sustained me through difficult times. Deep in my heart, I do believe God is at my side today. You know, T.S. Eliot, the great poet from St. Louis, called the Mississippi a brown god. But nature isn't God, and God isn't nature. Back in Diamond Lake, they taught us that because nature is God's creation, you can see God reflected in nature, even in a hard-working river like the Mississippi. At flood, that big river surely conveys God's power, breaking levees like guitar strings and overwhelming all the works of man. The Mississippi also reveals God's providence, providing drinking water for 50 cities, an ecosystem that supports countless fish, wildlife, and plants, prosperous communities, inspiring scenery, wonderful places for vacations and recreationing, and carrying in its barges and towboats fully 10% of the world's grain. And in the Mississippi's waters, we can touch God's infinite and unknowable mysteries, extending from the oceans in the Gulf of Mexico up through the marshes of coastal Louisiana and the swamps of the Mississippi Delta, branching through 10,000 tributaries, up the Ohio and the Iowa, the Rock River and the Eau Claire, and even up the Illinois and the Des Plaines to Indian Creek and Diamond Lake itself and our little Methodist church on the ridge. So that's my witness today about how my job renewed my faith. It reminded me of the wisdom of the Bible. By working together with other faithful people, it gave me strength. It demonstrated how God's revealed in nature, in beautiful scenery, in wild bounty, but also in every farm and factory and community and individual. When I was discouraged, it gave me hope and even courage, knowing that God's at my side. And when I came to Davis, it led me to seek out this church, not to drop Virginia off at Sunday school, but for the support and nurture of this congregation, for which I'm grateful. So thank you. My name is Margaret Weishart, and this is my story. I have worked in labor and delivery, been in labor, and received labor. Which came first, labor or faith? Faith is what led me to do all three. So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. James 2.17 
then this means that perhaps labor came and brought on faith? Does the order really matter? What matters is that they go hand in hand. Faith is a confidence or a trust in a person or a thing according to Webster's Dictionary. Hebrews 11 explains the meaning of faith. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Many examples of faith are written in the Bible, including Abraham setting out for a place not knowing where he was going. Jesus was our greatest example. Hebrews 12 speaks strongly about running the race set before us with perseverance, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. He set the example by not growing weary, though at times he did need to rest. His example is not an easy one to follow, nor are we called in the same way to use our faith in our work. Mine has been expressed in many ways over the years and transitioned from one career to another, while never letting go of parenting. While meeting faith is intricate and sometimes a paradox requiring choices, as a mature professional, I reflect back to a time when I switched from working in the clinical medical field to clerical field. It was 1995 when I felt the call to move out of my current position, retrain, and present myself in a different light. My primary career was parenting at the time, and in wanting to excel, I needed to make changes in the work I did to earn an income. My faith is what kept me going through the challenge of convincing human resources to see me in a different light while I was dealing with financial change. Every day I got up, sometimes when I would have rather stayed in bed. Finally, when my course of study was complete in medical office management, I volunteered and was hired within two weeks to work in the clerical pool at our hospital. This allowed me to be more available for my two children. Within a short period of time, the vice president of the hospital came to HR and asked for me to work as plant services secretary. My former long-term position had been working in nursing in the skilled nursing facility, which gave me great insight to the needs of employees. I accepted the position knowing God had led me there. I enjoyed listening to the concerns of my former cohorts and writing up work orders for the technicians. I worked there until both Anna and Matt were grown, though Anna had moved to Davis a few years before her brother. I relocated following their graduation from UC Davis and Anna's marriage to be near to them as a single person. I once again found myself challenged in 2008 with the recession. I have made these professional transitions which all have the common thread of caretaking and challenges that I could not have done without my faith. I did not know the answers, and I continue to seek. But there is no doubt in my mind that it is God who provided for me along this rocky path for the last six years just at the right time. One provision has been the great cloud of witnesses who cheered me on, my mom, my daughter Anna, and the members of Davis United Methodist Church are some of them. Understanding the Holy Spirit has been confusing at times because I wanted one job and was given another. The answer has come with the peace and energy I feel about my work. I have had to see through God's eyes at times because the light clarified my vision. 
Most recently, I attended the job search group presented by Constance Stevens here at Davis UM. I am blessed to be working weekends now. I do continue to seek and just recently had a very good interview with Yolo Hospice, a good fit for me. Characteristics are my wealth that I have stored up. These include learning to be more humble, growing in strength, confidence, and patience. I enjoy volunteering and find it as a way to make contacts and friends. I have come to understand diverse populations, the struggles of not being known, and of being rejected. I have refined skills, gained courage to drive where I have had fear in the past, tenacity, and openness to be who I am. My faith has increased to know that I may not know where I am going next, but with God, all things are possible. My work has been raising children and encouraging them as adults, volunteering, and working in paid jobs, both clinical and clerical. They all are servant ministries that God calls me to do, walking humbly in faith. I can use my skills which I have gained over the years and develop those which I need to to do my present call. On-the-job training is an experience that I have had in my current position as a receptionist and others. When learning is needed or been a call to do, it is faith that has kept me going in hopes of achieving my goal. I received my Bachelor of Science degree in 2009 as a result of my faith, having worked in many aspects of healthcare most of my career. My work has transitioned, as I have said, and will continue to. The calls have come from reading ads in the paper and other sources are the fruit that I live by. It took faith to step out in one volunteer position I had as spiritual care team leader at Sonora Regional Medical Center. It was my chaplain's faith that led me to do it. My faith helped me to create flyers and train other employees to do patient visitations. The circle continues as a supportive team creates faith and faith produces work. I challenge you all to take a look at what might possibly be blocking a call you have to work because it might just be what God wants you to do most. Have faith and you will receive joy. Do pray because prayer does change things. Thank you for hearing my story. pray so God can use me here. (laughs) Um, I'm Terry Wagoner, and um, I was delighted to receive Kelly's invitation to uh, think more deeply about the connection between faith and my employment, and how those play out in my life. uh, My employment uh, for income is as a for the state of California, and I work on a program that helps to advance water policy, or at least has hopes of advancing water policy. 
when I thought about faith, faith for me is not so much a theology as it is a um, way that's become ingrained in my life. Faith for me has to do with the word trust and the word confidence with what can be life-giving. How can I live with enthusiasm, a translated entheos, with God? How can I help to live out God's vision and to expand God's vision in my life and in the world? Um, I have to work to do that. There's labor. It takes effort. It takes exertion. And as Margaret said, there are transitions from time to time and era to era from moment to moment and day to day. I labor for the money. The money's really nice. I do appreciate that. But I've been lucky enough and blessed enough to not need to labor for the money so much anymore now that my family has grown. I can labor because, interestingly, I want to, because it provides purpose and helps me to contribute to a vision, helps me to Uh, hold on to those glimmers and glances of God's vision that I can see in my life and how that can play out. Um, It helps me to expand my gifts and to be connected to the world, to be connected to the world via a role that I've accepted, via a program, via a team, and a, a mission. Not always my mission, not always the mission that I fully form, or even the mission that will get um, played out in the long run. But I can help to create that, that piece and have that portion of that voice in the chorus that can move forward. It also helps me to create, expand my skills and my gifts to learn more about those computer challengers, those uh, now that we live in a different age and a different era. It helps me to help others expand and to grow their gifts, others on my team and others as we together work to form something that is greater and bigger than each of us individually can do, that can be contributed to the larger vision. I've been lucky enough to find a visionary to work for. I don't create visions, but I do enjoy taking visions and advancing and forming those visions that I hope play out in that larger political world using my skills. Um, Living and breathing my faith has become foundational to me. It's not overt in every moment. I'm not the kind of person who sits there and says, what would Jesus do or what would Jesus drive? Um, but I am, I do know that as I am nervous, as I am full of fear, being able to breathe, being able to know with certainty that I am loved, and I've learned that being a member here at Davis Methodist Church, being able to know with certainty that I am loved is core, is foundational to how I conduct my life in those moments, in those dehumanizing moments in the workplace. I do, I have also learned that my day goes better when I take the time to practice, to pray, to be connected to a higher and grander nature vision, be connected to 
the divine. When I can take the time to, I don't always hear, but those times I'm more open to getting those glimpses and those glances through the day. When I get some perspective outside of myself, a larger perspective. Um, When I keep that vision that I am loved connecting in every day, it helps my life goes better, go better. It helps my employment go better. Sometimes I'm impelled to speak. Sometimes not so impelled to speak. Um, Helping me also to nurture my gifts, to nurture the gifts of those around me. It can be difficult to be creative in that system, but it also provides the opportunity to be creative on a much bigger scale than I myself could do at my, at my level. <clears throat> it helps me with my faith to be kind, to remember, long, long ago a member of this church pointed out that they remember this person in front of me also is a blessed child of God. This person in front of me also is doing their best to advance a vision based on their perceptions. It's curious that as my faith grew and as I matured in faith and got to a more contemporary understanding, an understanding that's consistent with being in Davis in 2014, um, as that faith grew, my employment also became more in tune with how I wanted to conduct my life. Those of you who know me know that there was a point where I was actually counting the hours to when I would retire. Oh yeah, 12,487 hours left to go until I can retire. But gradually, as my faith grew, as I grew deeper and more connected, there's been this transition, this shift that Margaret talked about, that I have a conviction and a confidence that I'm connected to something higher, and I'm there because I want to be there. I'm not counting the hours anymore to when I'm going to retire. I'm learning to live within that larger vision, advancing a vision at my level. There's that level of within my core, my my core, my strong, deeper glimmers that I can hear. There's that level within my family, the level of connection within my community, within our Davis Church community, the level of connection within our town, the level of connection within the state, and then there's a level of connection with the federal uh, government and even with the world. For me, finding where I can connect in has been an important piece of the journey, is an important piece of the journey. And for me now, being a small voice within the state system feels like the correct level to be at, where I can learn, where I can grow, and also advance God's goodness in the world. Would I have ended up at the same place had I not had this faith in my work? I don't know, but I do know that the journey has been much deeper and much richer and more foundational, more to the core. It's been helpful. And as I, for us, for me to remember, as Dan pointed out, God is at my side. God is at our side. Thank you.